Hey everyone, I'm your host Brandon Kyle Goodman and welcome to Black Folks. On this show, I have the honor of talking to Black people of various identities about our lives and how being Black has shaped our experiences. This week, I had the pleasure, honey, of speaking to writer, director, activist, and actor Griffin Matthews. Griffin stars in HBO Max's drama series, The Flight Attendant Opposite Kaylee Cuoco, but I first fell in love with him when he played Deontay in season three of Netflix's hit series, Dear White People. Griffin is also the co-founder of the nonprofit organization Uganda Project, and he's known for his viral video entitled Dear Amy Cooper, Broadway is Racist. It garnered over a million views across social media platforms and started the revolution to reform both the American theater and Hollywood in light of the Black Lives Matter movement. Today, we talked about our favorite Black plays, when we stopped taking care of white feelings, mm. and we mused about the work Black people have to do inside of the racial uprising that was sparked by the murder of George Floyd last year. Now, a little bit of housekeeping. If you are enjoying what we are doing here at Black Folks, please subscribe, rate, and comment on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. Also, one more thing. You might hear Griffin's adorable babies in the backgrounds, and my baby Corey makes himself heard as well. You know how Corey can get. It's quarantine, honey. Anyway, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Griffin Matthews. Hi, Griffin. Hi, my friend. How are you? Um, what day are we at? You know, what I, I, mean? I have no idea. What day are we at? What time is it? Where yeah. are we? Is it even time? real? Are days and times real anymore? Honestly, no. No. But are yeah. you okay? Are you I'm, doing okay? I'm, I'm honestly, I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm. I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm a little exhausted, but I've been looking forward to this conversation because I always know that these conversations are rejuvenating. So you Did have you a lot to live exhausted? up to. Exhausted, yes. Where are you from? Oh, New York. <laughs> How dare that you? That was the most New York in LA I've ever. I'm exhausted. How dare you? You're about to hear that whole exhausted. You're exhausted. How dare you? She's exhausted, honey. Um, okay, before we get too deep in, because I can already tell you're going to be way too much fun for me. Will you introduce yourself, whatever you want us to know, and start with your pronouns? Hi, I'm Griffin. He, him, his. And I am so excited to get to talk to a Black person in 2020 who is also on a set of headphones in his house with a very big black something back there. I see a black, 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 black. That's a TV, honey. Beside the TV. Oh, that's, sorry, that's James Baldwin beneath, above Oprah. That's That's a a Christian Siriano print of Oprah. You know, I, I, I honestly, I'm not kidding. I really... First of all, I love Christian Siriano's prints. Yes, yes. But I also, I, I, in this moment, I've been looking for black art. Yes, I have a lot of people that I've been uh, collecting, if you will. The mm-hmm. top one is uh, Madame Muse. Uh, her account, I think, is I am Muse. Then over there, you can't see it, but it's a uh, maybe. I'll, who cares? I'll turn, turn it. it. Can you see? It's a black peanuts. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a reimagined version of the peanuts oh, with black I above the desk. Yes, above the, the, above the table, and that's Robert Moore. Uh, and then I just order two prints by Devin Wesley, uh, who is also black. And Whitney Austin is also in here somewhere as well. So I have a couple. I'm doing it. I'm, uh, I am. And DePaul Vera is also another one. And I love DePaul. DePaul is queer and does a lot of uh, interracial queer um, art, which has been really hard to find. That's actually the hardest thing to find. uh, Because I do have a white husband, and so I want him to feel represented. I got one too. So. <laughs> you got, yeah, yeah. You I know, got you gotta, you gotta help them feel represented sometimes. But That's the whole true. world represents them, so I ain't, I ain't too worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you the, uh, the little black folks question of the day, which is, and I'm excited because I, I don't always get to talk to theater heads 
You're a theater head. Can I call you a theater head? Because I'm Why a theater not? head. Absolutely. Um, what is your favorite black play or musical? Oh God. This is so either and big. why and why that's the question oh this is a tough one this mm-hmm. is a tough one because they're so they they all hit me differently i'm trying to think of the last one that like really took me out there's a there well uh jocelyn bio i saw school Oof. girls here in la ctg and that that took me out in the best way. I spent a lot of time in Africa. And so I just instantly knew where we were at. I just got the humor. Yeah. But Jocelyn is a writer that I'm really, really excited about. I'm a um, fan of Jocelyn. She's yeah, I'm incredible. Yeah. I'm a big fan of her. Um, and then God, okay. The musical, I should say a musical that, that, that wore me out. What's the last black like black, 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 black musical. The blackity last, black. The last blackity black show that I saw was Shuffle Along. Ooh. And I think that's like the last one that I saw. And I mean, uh, yeah, Shuffle. The thing about Shuffle that wore me out was they the amount of talent that was on that stage. I mean, Audrey McDonald was like nine months pregnant when I saw the show. It was insane. Oh, wow. Just tapping and singing and doing the whole thing. And it, I mean, it had Billy Porter and Amory Mon. It just my, some of my favorite Oof. performers. Yes. And I just, it's a period piece. And I saw myself, you know, like I don't think we always mm. have history on stage. Um, and we see that we're still telling the same stories and fighting the same battles. Yeah. On, off stage and so shuffle along wore me out i really i really it was a piece that i knew nothing about it's not raisin in the sun right it's not like a right. show that everybody knows about and everyone's seen it 20 times i never saw shuffle along i didn't know what it was about and um and i it, it stuck with me for for quite a while yeah um, yeah amazing my what comes to mind for me, you know, I've been in LA for like five years, so yeah. I think it's been a very long time since I've like seen a play, <laughs> to me. be honest. Um, I think I've seen a couple, but not like a black play here in LA. Um, but what comes to mind right now is Passing Strange. I, I was um, going to say that, but I felt like it was too old to no, say that. No, never too old. Never Tell too me. old. Yeah. I saw, you know, I what's really funny about Passing Strange is I saw that, obviously, years ago. I saw it at the public, and then I saw it on Broadway a couple times. But I saw it at the public the night before I flew to Amsterdam. And for everyone listening or watching, um, there's a whole, like, big... Amsterdam. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, there's literally a song called Amsterdam where the character, black character, goes to Europe, really finds himself and goes to Amsterdam. Um, but I remember seeing that musical and feeling changed. Uh obviously, um, you know, the close relationship with the lead character and his mother, um, and it kind of being their world, his relationship to church. I know the character isn't queer, but they're they're I I inserted my queerness inside but of it. Isn't he? He I don't is. know. Is he? I mean, he's, yeah. I, my first job in New York City was the workshop of Passing Strange, right? The well, shut up. I played. But does it? Yeah. Oh, shut up. But it was in a workshop. It was workshop. Okay, okay. Um, so you didn't see me. I didn't um, see you. But he is queer. I mean, he's he's of, he's of not straight. I okay. think he is, he's trying to find himself. Trying to find himself. Well, I identified with it. Uh, and then, of course, the song... Don't come down now. Uh, one of my just all time favorite songs. What I loved about the musical was that I think the show does a really good job of being a black musical that kind of breaks what genre of music we're allowed to be in. Right. It's very rock heavy. Um, there's, you know, some punk to it. Uh, there's still some R and B in there, but it breaks the form um, that I think we're usually accustomed to being in. And so I loved that because it just, to me, symbolized that we don't fit in just one box and we're allowed to to play with other styles and other colors and make it our own. And so that that musical is really uh, important to it's me, a, I would Stu say. is one of those people. When I met Stu, I was coming from a very small town Pittsburgh mentality and I met Stu after I graduated from college. And, in the and Stu's workshop. the composer and the Stu, creator, Stu, yes. And, yeah, Stu and Heidi. Um, but Stu was living in Germany. And Ooh. I was like, what are you doing in Germany? You know, I was just like, there's a black yeah. person, you a black man in Germany? Like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and he was like, I live in Berlin, you should go. And I, yeah. the, that he planted a seed 
in me about traveling. It was before yeah. I really traveled. And I also, I did my honeymoon in Amsterdam and I've been to Amsterdam many, many times uh, to get to Uganda, which is where I work uh. in Africa. And Amsterdam, of course, changes your life. But when I was yes, doing the work, I never really left the country. So I didn't know about hashish. <laughs> Just all of that. I didn't yeah. know and so I also have been to Germany now and I'm just like, I under, Stu is like, why would I live here when I could live there? And he yeah. opened my mind to go, there is a place in the world for black people and black men um, yes. where, where, where the world is actually different than New York City or America, you know? That was kind of the life-changing experience about seeing that musical and then going to Amsterdam. And I actually spent the summer there studying uh, and the gay pride happened and it really shifted my perspective on how I viewed myself. It was really a part of the healing process of me loving my blackness and my queerness and those intersections because over there, there was, and I'm not saying racism doesn't exist, I, but I didn't experience it there, but I, I experienced my blackness in value and I experienced my queerness in such value there I experienced like my beauty just as a black queer person. I just felt so beautiful there. And it's really hard to describe, but it was such a gift to get. And I really tried hard to hold on to it. I think I've done a good job to bring that back to the States. But I just remember, you know, when Pride happened and just seeing everyone, everyone in the streets celebrating, not just queer people. And that feels like the dream, right? To like celebrate each other um, uh, holistically and not, not, it didn't feel like a rebellion. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, of course. Of course. It's so funny because you're saying the things that, that I might sound crazy to people looking at you. You're a very handsome man. Um, and I, I had a very similar experience when I traveled to Europe and Africa of seeing the value of my blackness as yeah. you're cute. You cute. I didn't yes. feel very cute for a very long time. Pittsburgh. Listen, <laughs> I love Pittsburgh. I'm a huge um, fan of my hometown, but I grew up in a very white middle-class upper middle-class neighborhood in school where I was one of very few black yes. kids. And, and so my blackness was not celebrated and I certainly did not feel attractive. Yeah. Um, and I, when I got to Europe, it changed. It was different. Amsterdam. Yes. They you understand why the ancestors went over there. Cause there was just a different, did you watch, I've talked about this. I need to stop talking about this, but did you watch Lovecraft country by chance? I just started. So don't say I've, okay. the two don't say anything. I'm not going to spoil anything, yeah. but there is a scene where one of the characters gets to experience, you know, a different country. And she, there's a line that she says, which was like, basically like, I didn't know that this was freedom. I thought mm. I had freedom, but I didn't know that this was freedom. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because it's like, yeah, like when you experience that, you're like, oh, I've been putting up with some bullshit. <laughs> I've just been putting up with a lot of bullshit. Like this is what it feels like to be appreciated and valued and celebrated and to feel beautiful and sexy and 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 how exciting that is and how tragic to have to like go back and weather the bullshit because your family is still in the States and your life is still in the States. And, and, and there's a, a sadness that I felt coming back because it's like, yeah, I love my friends and my family, but also knowing that I'm about to lose this, um, this feeling that is just inherent in the way that this European or culture kind of um, thinks or feels mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or even African, right? Like, like being in Africa, which I, which I still have to go, Take a trip. You, I know. I know. I you're know. the first. When this thing is over, I, when that's the where I'm going. Bitch, happens, bitch. I want you gone. Gone. Don't gone. be here. Get I may out. not come back. That's the thing. I know. I know. I'm, I probably won't come back because I'm going to just see life in a very different, uh, life-changing way, which I'm, ex I'm excited to have that experience. And you know what? I'm excited to have that experience as an adult who is aware, do you know, and not... Like I know it won't be lost on me because I know it's something that I'm searching for and have been searching for, and so I'm. It's I'm impossible for it to be lost. 
It's yeah. not possible because you've literally never seen anything like it. Yeah. Like stepping off the plane, you're you're rocked from the plane. You get off the plane and you're like, wait a second, is everybody black? So yeah. everyone is black? So you're saying everyone. <laughs> oh, so everybody. So, so she's black too? Right. Okay, and the pilot ahead. is black. Okay, so, every, so everybody's black. So everyone. It shocks your system. Yeah. It's a shock to the system to look yeah. out and see a black people. It's shocking. The closest I've had to it is I'm from Trinidad and I haven't been back to Trinidad since I was younger, but that's like the closest I have to it. And that's why I'm saying I'm excited to experience it as an adult because part of it is lost on you as a, as a kid. Cause you're like, you haven't fully understood how the world operates and how valuable it is to be in a space where black is the majority. Yeah. And I'm excited about that. Now I'm going to ask you the big black folks question because um, you actually, I, I, I'm sure a lot of people know this, but I'll like reiterate, you actually put out, uh, which was sent to me, uh, a really gorgeous video about uh, the racism that exists inside of Broadway. Mm-hmm. Who would have thought? I know that a lot of people were shocked by that. I was not, and I was really grateful to have you um I'm trying not to use the word articulate because you know what I mean. I was really grateful for you to to speak on that and share it so clearly, clearly what so many of us have been experiencing and feeling uh, in the community uh, of Broadway. Uh, The one that the part that really sticks out for me is when you said, like, y'all invite us to this gala to, like, you know. Uh, parade us around and then there's no support after and i can't tell you how many galas i've attended (laughs) how many galas i've shown up to to make it look like inclusion and diversity was happening for that you know theater group or that show but you know there was no when it came time to put money into my show or to my things well suddenly we don't have it um yeah Yes. So my question, for, go ahead. You want to tell, you want to tell us more about that? Well, or? What's the question? I'll let you, because I can go off and we can be here all night or you can ask one question and I'll just give one answer. I'll try. So the question is, which I think is still related, which is when did you stop taking care of white feelings? Oh, because God. I know that that video. Oh yes. So we're going to get a good answer. Y'all. If you listen and you don't see Griffin's going to give us a good answer. Cause I know that that video is, must have been scary, or maybe it wasn't, but pissed off some white people. I'm certain of it. So when did you stop taking care of white feelings? Wow. No one has ever asked me that question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question in my entire life. Well, I'm honored to be the one to ask you. When did I stop taking care of white feelings? I guess what I would say, the way that I'm, the way that I want to answer that is the video... I hear a baby screaming. A baby. Hi, baby. Yes. Um, I've never stopped taking care of white feelings. Mm, okay. Let's talk so about the it. video was me. It was a rebuke of systemic racism and white supremacy. And that is taking care of white feelings on some level. Talk to so, me about it. So, so I have a white husband, right? And I care about his feelings. I've always cared about his feelings and I have many white. So I have a, a whole white family and I come from a, my grandfather was biracial. So I have white people running through my veins that, you know, whiteness. Yeah. And so I've always cared about their feelings, but I guess the way that I would have said it is that I started taking care of my feelings Mm. and I had not done that. So I was, I was trying to figure out a way to speak my truth so that you could really know what my feelings were. Mm. So it was taking care of black feelings. Yeah. Less about, you know, not taking care of their feelings. It was more about like, are black people going to take care of our own feelings? And I think some black people have been doing that forever, right? And others have not. And I fell into the category of I was not taking care of my own feelings. Yeah. Um, so you're hearing me unpack it. I'm unpacking it. As I'm unpack speaking. it. I'm you know, here to like, unpack it with you. What a, what a brilliant question. I, I had s- spent my entire life and career 
taking care of other people's feelings except for my own. And so mm. the video was me revealing who I really am, um, which is smart, intelligent, thoughtful, opinionated, um, angry, mm. um, loving. I felt like it was a loving rebuke. Yeah. So I, I didn't, you know, I said burn it down, but that's love. Sometimes you have to burn all of the shit down so that you can actually build something beautiful because what's currently standing is not sustainable. The model is not sustainable and it's not equitable. And everybody knows it, right? Yes. The secret is everybody know knows it. Yes. And we're all participating. Black folks are participating. White folks are participating. Everyone's participating. And now is the moment in history where we get to actually work on it because the theater is dark. It's mm. shut down. It's never been. So if ever we're going to open up the doors and take a peek at our insides, this is the moment. And that is why I woke up in the morning. and was like, it's today. And you know who said it was today? I, I felt the it's today. My husband said it's today. And I was mm. like, You're right, it's today. You know, so so and I, I credit him with that because a that's marriage. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and B, that was him realizing that he had also participated in it. So the, the apologies were not, I mean, I got a lot of apologies, emails, phone calls, texts, ones that I took very uh, sincerely and I was heartened by them. Um, but he also added his voice to the apologies. He was like, I was there. And I, as your white, at the time we were dating, but as your white boyfriend, I sat in rooms where people were, you know, being less than kind. And I, you know, I wanted my show to go to Broadway. So I was like, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. And he was like, I need to apologize for that. And that's how we can really talk about what it means to be allies. Yes. Hi, babe, I'm on a recording. There he goes. That's that was him being an ally. <laughs> we have a three month old, so oh my goodness, we, that was our pandemic surprise. Um, wow, but yeah, you know, like so, so, so that was my. I, I keep saying the movement that has been birthed from it, and I think that there. Look, I don't want to take credit for, you know, starting anything. I was just participating yeah but there have been a lot of you know amazing organizations that have sprung up outside of the black lives matter movement uh specifically for theater and one of which that i happily signed the letter was the we see white american theater yeah um, and and i really i really think i really really think that the 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 only way that we fix our systems is that we, we black folks and white folks, we come to the table to have the conversation. And I keep saying this over and over again in every interview, because I, I want it to ring loudly. The movement is not just about white people. It is about black people, mm -hmm. people of color. Um, and I will separate the two of those things. Cause that's also a complicated conversation sure. about BIPOC, but black people this is actually a movement about us. We have to see each other. We have to see ourselves. We have to be willing to sit with each other because we've been operating inside of um, a system that tells us that there isn't enough. There isn't enough wealth. There isn't, there's only one black musical this year on Broadway. Right. There's only one black play that gets to make it. And, and so we all felt like we're in competition with each other. And inside of this moment, if we don't look at each other and start seeing each other and seeing the beauty in each other and the talent and the, the, the potential, the potential, we're going to miss the movement. It can't just be about correcting white people. We must correct ourselves. You know, ourselves. Th that's the, the nuance of, of this movement. And, you know, in the very beginning I had, you know, private conversations because we're like, this is not the time to talk about black people, but I think we're at that place where we can, yeah. where it's like, at first we're like, let's handle the white people. But you're like, there are, there, 
there is some internal stuff as a community that we have to work on, you know, be it how we treat black women, be it how we treat black queer people, be it how we bring each other together, colorism, all of it. Um, you know, our, our Afro Latinx, uh, Latinx brothers and sisters, all of this um, stuff inside of our community, because we are also been uh, raised in a white supremacist culture and have consumed it. And the system works, so we've perpetuated some of that bad behavior on each other and on ourselves. And so that is, I agree with you, that is part of the reckoning that we are in is, you know, in addition to holding white people accountable, how do we hold each other accountable? It's different. It's different work, mm-hmm. right? It's not the same work. It's not the same curriculum. But yes, we both have our own can you tell I used to be a teacher? <laughs> it's not the same curriculum. It's, um, you know, you better just launch into a curriculum. No, it's not. The same. You're right about that. It is not the same curriculum. It is. I, I feel like the, the curriculum for black folks, at least the ones in my space, has been a lot of healing. Maybe yes. we're in therapy. It is. Oh, yes. Therapy with each other. And so a lot of grace has been extended. You know, I've extended grace. People have extended me grace in the place yeah. I failed, you know? And so, yeah, it's a different, I love that. It's a different curriculum. I might, I might get a, please that on my, my, <laughs> you know, my wall, my inspiration. Well, it is a different, different curriculum, curriculum, honey. Um, I think it's so interesting uh, that you said that you haven't stopped taking care of white feelings and your white husband's, uh, role in that just because you know i also have a white husband and people the common question that i get is like basically what i think people are trying to ask is how am i able to speak about uh everything going on with such empathy and i do think that my white husband plays a role in that yeah. uh because it is my husband so before he's my white husband he is <laughs> right. my husband that's my partner and so it's like I see him trying to do this work and I want to support him because it supports me as his partner who are building a life. And it just so happens that every other white person benefits from, from that. Mm -hmm. But because it might be very different. If I was married to a black person, I would imagine that my um, reaction to all of this and how I came out may have been different. Maybe, Uh, maybe I'm not sure I could muse. I wonder how it would be different. In my mind, in my mind, and it also depends on the person who I was with, in my mind, for me, there would be more rage. Uh, mm. Because I, I'm angry and I have a lot of rage, but because I have a husband here, I have to work through it. Mm. Maybe not quicker, but I know that for the sake of my marriage, I have to work through this rage so that I don't <laughs> burden my husband with the sins of whiteness. Does that make sense? <laughs> Does that make sense? So much. Yes. And I, and I feel like I, I just unleashed the rage and I was not worried about his burden. I said, baby, it's your time to take the burden. So I've been taking the burden for my entire life. Fair. You this burden for the next three, four, three, four weeks. You must take this Fair. burden. So I raged around this house. I screamed and raged. Because you know what? I was raging. I've always been raging. And and I think what happened was he woke up and understood what the rage was about. Ooh. He didn't know what all the rage was about. And then George Floyd happened and Amy Cooper happened. And he was like, Whoa, okay, I got That's the rage what it now. is. That's why you're screaming. Yes. So there, there was I, that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this question. Because in terms of taking care of white feelings, how do I want to ask this? Because when George Floyd happened, Matthew and I sat down and had a really direct conversation. Mm. Uh, and this is like before my video and all that stuff. We had a really direct conversation, which was, you know, we have been living in a bubble where we don't see, this is going to sound, I know how it sounds. We don't see each other's race. Like, that's not how we operate. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not, we're operating with like, I'm Brandon, you're Matthew. Mm-hmm. But in many ways, that's done a disservice because um, now I need you to show up in a different way that you don't know how to show up because we haven't been having these pointed conversations for the last five years. Hmm. It's now that we're having them, but it's like, and they've come up, you know, like when we go to 
a different city, he like looks around and checks how many black people are there because he understands that I am constantly aware of that. When we're outside of LA, I need to know where the black people are, how many people are here, are there pickup trucks? Do I see a Trump flag? Like, and so like he's come aware of that. Like he like he does it too now. He's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm laughing because these are the conversations. In case you're listening and you don't know what he's talking about, I'm like, these are absolutely the conversations that are happening in my house as well. Yes, Continue. yes, yes. But then it was like, oh, but what I'm not talking to you about is the rage that I feel from having to do that. Mm-hmm. So you understand the practical level, like there's racism and my husband experiences some of this and works hard, but we've not talked about the rage. We've not talked about the anger. And this is like the first time because I've done a good job of compartmentalizing that. Right. I've done a good job. Of, and for the most part, and this is why the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Tony McDade and Dominique Fels and all of this is a little different because usually I get that headline, but I'm at work. Right. And right. so now I have the day to put that process that in my car, whatever mm-hmm. it is, do my whatever. And then I come home and I don't want to talk about it. I mm-hmm. want to drink wine. I want to drink wine, watch TV. But now it's happening and he's here and I'm here. And so he's seeing it on direct hit. Yeah, correct. And so it just, it, it's a different, it, it created a different level of conversations that I realized we hadn't had it created before. a different urgency. Is yes. About. There was an urgency that you could in your car alone process. But when you're, not alone because we're in a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. The the urgency now it's like, well, I'm either going to do it now or I'm going to burst. You know, it's yes. like I got to do it now, and that yes. is that is what I think I hear you saying. Yes, it's in like, oh, the, the, like you're just going to be here for the processing, yeah. Yeah. and because we're married. I have to clue you in as to why I'm crying right now. I have to clue you in as to why I'm screaming. And you know, there's been a lot of you know there there has been. Uh, space and grace, you know, I've been like, listen, th- this is about me right now. I-, I don't give a fuck what you going through, my love. <laughs> like, I-, I am going through uh, something that is uh, far more pressing and urgent, to use that word, than what you as a white man are going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, th- and you know, that sometimes is hard, I think, for partners to digest, right? Because we have this I think societally, there is this fantasy that a perfect marriage means we're equal at all times. Right? Like, that's the fairy tale. That's the fairy tale. That's not true. That's not the case. That's not, you know, that's the fairy tale that we're always equal in everything at the same time. And both of our feelings matter equally at all times. And the reality is, that is not the case. There are some times where, as a partner, your gig is to hold up your other partner because they are going through something that is far more pressing. Um, and that's what happened, right? This summer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for, I'm also married to a Matthew. So oh, there's that. Come on now. <laughs> um, so my Matthew, his parents were here in the middle of all of it. They were visiting mm. us um, to help with our, at the time, one child. And they're the most liberal New York Jews. And uh, I love them dearly, but we were in our house processing the LA riots. They live, they now live in Boise, but they had lived in LA. Matt, Matt was raised in LA. Mm-hmm. They, this is their town. They, they're yeah. watching the protests going on and, and it launched a lot of questions and conversation around race. And I don't understand why they're burning the buildings. If you're mad, burn something, don't burn the buildings and do another, find peace. And the whole thing, we went through the, the whole, the whole of it. And then uh, my family does a Zoom call every Sunday. My black family, my brother is here in LA, my other brother's in, in New York, my parents are in Pittsburgh. Um, and we got on that Zoom and I invited my in-laws to sit in on the Zoom call so they could just mm. hear us process as a black family in America about all that was happening. And they saw my dad. I am very much from the Huxtable family like if you're wondering <laughs> who my parents are they're yes. huxtables yeah they are master's degrees business d- s- d- vps of banks and company like they're those are who i live lived with yeah um and they watched my parents and my brothers who also all went to you know 
very good higher learning school. <laughs> yes. Screaming into the Zoom, scream, raging into the Zoom. And mm. I, my in-laws were sitting there like, oh my God, is this what Black people are doing? Is this what Black people feel? Because I would have thought that your surely your family is really successful, so they wouldn't be raging, right. screaming right. Yeah. into a Zoom. That's that was the revelation mm. for my in-laws. They they had never seen they were a fly on the wall. It was the first time they could be a fly on the wall and yeah. just listen to a black family processing what was going on. And I it rocked them. It changed them immediately. The conversation that thought I mean they participated, they came in. My parents and Matt's parents are actually friends and so yeah. they came on and talked and they were sharing their feelings they were like we are, didn't know that you felt this way and we feel so, they're liberals and yeah. they felt like oh my god we now have a glimpse into our liberal friends matt's parents are equal socioeconomic yeah. to my parents education class to my parents. so they were like do our black friends feel this way oh my god we have to do something yeah you know and that was like i god i wish that white people in this country could have seen not just one version of blackness experience the riots and George and Brianna and Ahmad that they could have seen black people, all of us, whether Mm. they had been, you know, highly educated or with high school degrees or whatever, five years old to 90 years old, you know, like see us all do it. Yeah. And then you're really going to get to know, like, Black people just, this is how we feel, y'all. This is just how we feel. This is what we're going through. Yeah. It was it was a really profound moment in my life. And it's also why, back to taking care of white feelings, it is, I do take care of white feelings because I love white people. I do. I have white people in my life that I love. But you know who else I love? Black people. Amen. <laughs> feel me? Yeah. I love Black folks. I've always loved Black people. You know, yeah. in fact, the running joke in my house with my husband is like, you know, if this don't work out, you know, I'm getting a black husband. And he's like, hey, oh, no. oh that's my joke here. It's <laughs> like, why would I ever sign up to do this again? <laughs> all of this explaining. And but to answer your other question about my black friends who are married to black men. Yeah. They were like, oh, yeah, we cut white people off, child. We're not answering emails. We don't answer phone calls. <laughs> They're like, we're so black in this house. We're done. Like, everything <laughs> is shut off. And that's what I wanted. It's a cope. It's to, we, we were in trauma space. Yeah. You know, and so I understand it. They were like, we're not going to invite any trauma into the house. We're done. Yeah. And I, like you, had to work through my trauma in real time with Matt and my in-laws. And, you know, like that was hard, but I'm glad we moved through it because... Now I can say things to them and they're like, gotcha. You know, yeah. I don't understand what you mean, but I understand that you need to express that and I need to unpack that. You know, like we yeah. can really have some real conversation. My kids are are BIPOC. I don't yeah. have two black kids. I asked the social worker for can give me some dark chocolate babies. <laughs> and the Lord said, No, no, you're gonna get an Armenian, a biracial oh. Armenian. You're going to get a Cambodian. I said, Lord, oh. we have the UN in my house. Yes. You <laughs> the genocide. Welcome to my life. I want that holiday card. Hello. Send me. <laughs> I'm going to send it to you. It's really I, cute. I want it. The family photos really. Listen, I love it. It's cute. But listen, I think that, you know, I love that you reframe this where it's like, I don't know if I stopped taking care of white feelings, but I did start taking care of my feelings. And I feel that wholly in my heart because there are white people that I love. So I think maybe it's like I stopped taking care of whiteness mm-hmm. um, right. because because I think that whiteness is a problem. Um, and so I've stopped taking care of whiteness. And that happened this year. It happened Me in too. June. Mm-hmm. Um because I didn't realize how much I was taking care of it until, you know, I was getting messages from the people that I love who are white, who were saying, I didn't know this is what you went through. And I was like, well, that is unacceptable. Right. On one hand, like fucking plug yourself in. On the other hand, clearly I am doing some song and dance where I am again, processing in my car and with my friends, my black friends, but I'm not, talking to my white friends about what's going on. I'm not talking about the position. And I also think they might not have been ready to hear it. 
They couldn't. What they couldn't. They, could, they weren't ready to hear it. They couldn't I hear it. 100% assure you white people in, and I'm going to make a gross generalization, but I mean it. We white love gross generalizations not, here. <laughs> they were we not ready to hear it because they didn't have the thing that the thing about George was that they could see it. Not that they hadn't seen it because they saw it with Rodney King. They, they saw it, it, everything. They but saw it. Something about the George moment when you hear, and I didn't watch the video, P.S. I didn't watch the video, the video, unfortunately. Um, but I think there was something where they could see a crowd. It was like a lynching, right? Like it, it took place it was. in front of a crowd of people in front of cameras and the lack of care on that guy's face. I don't care. You're recording me. I do not care. I think white people could not turn away. They were like, oh my God, that's somebody and, being lynched and they don't, he doesn't care that he's on tape. He and there was care. also, there was, a, I, I did watch the tape. And what was also fascinating to me was there were people begging to stop. And one was a white woman. Yeah. And th- plus the pandemic and everybody being locked in. So it was just a different, it, it, it apparently just hit people, uh, very differently and i don't know why i watch that video to this day i do not know what possessed me and i and i you know um i don't know why i watched that fucking video i still don't know why i i i don't know why you watched it <laughs> i don't either i don't watch any videos i never whatever but i watched that one and uh yeah it rage fucked me up yeah. um and that's when i stopped taking care of white feelings is like this is what y'all are doing yeah. In the middle of the day, in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. this is what you're doing to people that look like me. Yeah. And and getting away with it. Yeah. I, I can't I can't participate in, in the system uh anymore. So I guess my other question is. Where you said there are places where uh, you you might have failed, or we might have failed as Black people yeah. um, inside of this. Where do you think you might have failed? I think that's so poignant and beautiful. And so I'm asking. I failed myself. You know, there were moments in the process when I wanted to scream, but I didn't. Mm. And, you know, there were moments, there were moments in the workplace where I wanted to scream, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And, and on some level it was, it's survival, but it's also a failure because mm. it didn't help me. Holding it didn't help me. It gave me a lot of anxiety. It gave me many sleepless nights. It gave me uh, many failed relationships Mm. Um, so I, I say to my parents, I went to a white high school. I was, there was like one of four or five black kids in a class of 620. That was my class. Not, I'm talking about the whole school, my class, my senior class, class 120. And one of the black people was my cousin. So wow, that's how bad it was. <laughs> yes. Um, and when I was in, um, high school, I got called the N word so many times I've lost track. I mean, mm. on my locker, uh, to my face, often to my face, most of the time to my face. Wow. Um, and my parents were always like, you know, you know, go to the principal, you know, tell on them and, and, and kids were getting suspended and the whole thing. And I said to my parents, I just wished that one time you would have said, punch him in the fucking face. Mm. Huh. Yeah. And I like, it kept me up at night. The idea that I never like punched him in the face that yeah. I should have just punched him. Like what? And and I was tiny. Look at me. I'm so tiny. I'm a tiny <laughs> man. Now I'm 130 pounds. Wet. Yes. Come on. Okay. Snatched. <laughs> so I was even smaller in high school. And so of course my parents were like, you can't punch them in the face. You can't do it. Um, but, but I wish that they had given me the permission to just mm. punch them in the face. One good time. I watched do the right thing two nights ago. First time I've ever seen the film, do the right thing. Yeah. Right? this long in my life um but i watched the film and at the end oh, i don't want to give it away but there's a quote in the it's film okay. i'm not gonna say but you know there's a martin luther king quote about peace and then there's a malcolm x quote about like violence yeah and he says violence in in defense is intelligence and i was like ah! i screamed <laughs> I screamed 
Yeah. And and I and I say that because look, I don't think that I am not an advocate for violence, but also I don't know if it was intelligent for me to not be violent in my defense because then what it did was it sowed the seed that white people can misbehave and all I have to do is run it up the chain of command and make sure that I'm going through HR and and sometimes I need to be able to say, "Yo, don't talk to me like that." Yes. Or it's a wrap. You know what I mean? We have to, we, I didn't have that in, I didn't have that release. And so now I'm a grown man, like trying to find my voice. Yes. And so again, I say like, what was the failure that I didn't scream earlier? I might not have been an actor on TV. I might, my career would have certainly suffered. Mm-hmm. We, we learned that from the, from the Me Too movement, from women who spoke out years ago against Harvey, and they don't have careers. Their careers were tanked because yeah. of it. But you yeah. know what they have? Their dignity and their voice. Yes. And their truth. Yes. Right? And I think somewhere along the line, I was losing my dignity and my voice and my truth. So I failed me. And now that I have two kids... The dignity, I, I want to instill in my kids the dignity and the truth in their voice. I don't want someone to steal their voice. Yeah. You know? and, and so that is who I failed. And I don't plan on doing that any longer. How, well, this is what I want to ask, actually, because this is what we've been talking about. So how do you think we as Black people um, take care of our feelings moving forward? How do we take care of our feelings? Are there steps? Is there a... Well, the first thing that I will say is focus on some joy. Mm. I cried my eyeballs out over Kamala Harris. I cried my eyeballs out. I did because I was like, you know what? It's, first of all, we've endured four years of uh, of a monster. And I will say it no other way than he was a monster. A monster. And Evil. And the administration that supported him, monsters, all. Yeah. And I, you know, I wanted for them to win, So Joe Biden and, and Kamala, I wanted them to win so bad. I phone banked for the first time. I donated. I was like in, I was in the election. I was just in it. And so speaking of a rebuke and this one wasn't so loving i wanted the country to rebuke it i was like we have yes, to rebuke this because this is satan y'all this is what this Absolutely. is this it's is a demon. satan so it's a we demon. gotta rebuke this and i love that kamala looks like my mom and she mm. looks like my aunt and she looks like, like us yeah, and that she the first time I was like it was not lost on me that her husband was white and stood mm-hmm. up. I was like this is the first interracial family that we've seen standing on yeah. the screen. Those little kids that came up to I was like all these little kids with the little afros and the little biracialness and the yes. otherness. Whatever this is, this is what my life looks like. This is what my friends' lives look like. This is what America looks like. And so I cried my eyeballs out over Kamala and just the the potential, right? There's yeah. gonna be a, we are not done. The work is not done. Oh no, we've knows just that. begun. We've just begun, but we better mark the moments of joy, and because they come so few and far between, right? Yes. So we got to mark. That's one way to take care of ourselves is to allow ourselves to celebrate. Yeah. Wins. We've been in my family zoom meetings having some real talk about blackness and generational curses and how to raise children and things that we need to leave in the last generation we don't need to carry that into this generation like so me and my parents have been going in with my husband and my my brothers and their spouses and we've been going in and so i think black people have to go in on each other with love right like yes to really unpack black masculinity black love um uh spanking okay we gotta gotta unpack spanking we We gotta gotta talk about that (laughs) what is that (laughs) what does that mean where does it come from we gotta pack christianity we've Mm -hmm. gotta unpack religion and how it affects us and what it's been what's been given to us yeah gotta unpack those things and so um so joy with some unpacking with a lot of I love that 
that's how I love that. That's how we take care of each other. It's joy. It's I think that's a perfect recipe. It's you know finding your joy, holding that sacred while also getting curious mm-hmm. about what we've consumed, what we've been taught, how we've been treating each other and ourselves, and unpacking that so we can you know as you know white people do whatever they do, and as we burn down these systems. We also make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and rebuilding ourselves emotionally as well. Um, I love that. Brent, I love every that. Black person that I see and I'm aware of, because your word curious, I love, um, but I'm aware I, I that I am standing in front of someone who has been traumatized. Yes. And I don't think uh. I was moving in that space before. So when I see Black people, I am aware even in passing to know that I'm in interacting with someone who has been through it. Yes. And so that changes the way you come to the table too, you know, like making sure that I let my black friends, specifically my black women friends, um, you know, y'all are beautiful. Y'all are Queens. Like we have not done you right. And Mm -hmm. got some black trans friends and just reaching out and going like, you that all black lives matter thing yeah that that's yes we're talking about that, you you know that and part. i just feel like we can heal some the healing is actually not hard it doesn't take a lot it really mm-hmm. doesn't mm. it doesn't take much hug a person tell them you see them people just want to be seen tell them yes. you see them and be willing to do the work to see them even more right that's yes. how you heal people you see them you heal them i love that i love that Griffin, this has been an incredible, incredible conversation. Great. See you next week. Um, Bye. <laughs> same time, same place. I'll be right here in the little, <laughs> this little black box. I love it. Thank I you love for it. having me. Um, Thank my, you. My husband is officially obsessed with you. I told him today. That's why I was, was going to say, I was like, let me let me say it while I'm on camera. Uh, <laughs> no, he he loves your your Instagram presence. And he was so excited to know that I was talking to you today because I think that he's one of those white people that came to your channel and was like, mm. okay, let me, because you're not me. You know, <laughs> yes. with you. Yes. I can't always say all the things. And so I think that he's been able to watch your videos and go, okay, that's another black person who's in a similar situation. Yes. As my husband and as me. And what can I unpack? Oh, I love that. So, Thank you so much. Well, tell him I say hello. I'll tell the other Matthew. The other Matthew. Hello. Griffin, thank you. Thank you so much. And wishing you all the best. And I can't wait. I'm a, I want the holiday card one and two. I'm going to come hug you when this is all over. Would you I'm going to come give you that hug. I know. I know. Let me get that vaccine. <laughs> and then I'm going to come hug you. I love that. Uh, love all right, baby. Thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation with Griffin. Griffin is a dream, honey, a dream. Well, you know what time it is. It's time for BKG Learning Moments. Yes, BKG Learning Moments, honey. Uh, uh, uh. And for those of you who don't know, this is where I break down things that I learned from uh, the conversation, my takeaways, okay? Um, so first and foremost, what I really loved was when Griffin said that he hasn't stopped taking care of white feelings. And I don't love it like, I'm so happy you haven't done that, but I I, I love the honesty of that answer um, and really understanding the, the nuances of what it means to have a white family, uh, white friends, uh, and want to still um, love them and champion them and support them, but also w- loving black people and loving yourself and having to draw a clear line doesn't mean that you stop taking care of their emotions or their feelings, but maybe it just means that um, you stop compartmentalizing, as I know that I have shared that I've done myself. You stop for lack of a better term, or maybe this is the term, honey, you stop pussyfooting around. Does anyone say that still? I believe my grandmother used to say that. Stop pussyfooting around the conversation. Tell me what it is. Um, 
And so I don't know. I mean, you know, I think there people have varying uh, ideas and degrees and uh, thoughts about what it means to take care of white feelings or not take care of white feelings. And then, you know, for me, what it does is then I start to think about, um, and I think I've talked about this on the show, white people and people who are white um, and acknowledging that whiteness, right, centering whiteness is uh, a problem um, and white people are... <laughs> problem. But my hope is that people who are white, which would include, you know, Griffin's husband, my husband, uh, I would hope anyone listening to this show uh, who can acknowledge the toxicity of whiteness and the um, the danger of whiteness and are interested in dismantling any systems that uphold that. I'm I'm okay with taking care of your feelings. If that means Oof, to Griffin's point, that we don't stop taking care of our own feelings, right? That we start taking care, as Black people, we start taking care of our own feelings. No longer willing, I'm no longer willing to sacrifice my sanity and my well-being just so that white people feel comfortable. Mm. Amen. <laughs> I said what the fuck I said. Um... Also, you know, talking about how our white husbands have impacted how we process. And, you know, it's really, uh, I don't know if I said it quite right, you know, this idea that me and Matthew didn't see race. I mean, that's impossible, right? Like, but it just wasn't, we didn't have, this is probably a better way to say, we didn't have conflict around race in our relationship. We see race, we recognize race, we understand um uh how it impacts our relationship and more importantly how it impacts how other people see our relationship or see us inside of this relationship and i don't just mean um the interracial aspect of a relationship but like matthew as a white person having to understand inside of this relationship that i'm black and how people perceive me and see me and what um what uh methods what what precautions um, and what action he needs to take in order to protect me and uh, have my back. I don't know if it goes the other way around in terms of his whiteness. I don't really feel the need to ever protect him because he's white. I feel the need to protect him because he's my husband. Um, but I... Uh, but it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not a one-to-one, which also goes to when we say marriage, you know, you, anyone who thinks that marriage means that you're equal all the time is, uh, uh, uh bonkers. <laughs> you know, there are, there are parts and facets of our relationship. Um, I would liken it to, you know, if, if I think about a, 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 a cis hetero couple, um, a man and a woman in a relationship, uh, I would say that there are moments where the man has to recognize that like uh, his uh, female partner doesn't have the same privileges <laughs> as he does um, and that there is a danger that she is up against when she goes out in the world uh, and that he needs to be hyper aware of that so that he can uh, protect accordingly. And I'm not talking about like a woman can't protect herself or that I can't protect myself. Y- y'all know what I mean. Do y'all know what I mean? Sometimes, let me just say this. This is going to be a little uh, a little um, left turn. But, you know, sometimes it's really interesting having these conversations and wanting to say things, but then uh, always remembering that on the other end of talking into a microphone uh, or posting a video or whatever are people who are like, what? You said what? And it's like, no, no, honey, that's not... Are you listening? <laughs> Are you listening to what I'm saying? Um, but at the same time, I appreciate the chance to really be specific with my words. And so when I talk about the, the, a partner, whether it's a male partner with a female partner or a white partner with a black partner, understanding uh, what to do to protect, it's not because uh, the black partner or the female partner can't protect themselves, but it's because we're up against a different level of danger um, and a different level of obstacles uh, than our, you know, than our than our counterparts, if you will. And it's important in order to be, yeah, in order to be an effective husband or partner, uh, you got to be aware of those things. 
so that you can jump in. So you can, as Griffin's husband did, you know, apologize for where you fall short. You got to know where you fall the fuck short, too. But that's not what I started talking about. I started talking about how our husbands impacted our processing, which is that I, I said that I felt like I had to process a little quicker. Uh, but I envied uh, when Griffin said, I just let my rage happen, which I will say me not letting my rage just run ramp, like rampant in our house was not my husband uh, telling me that I couldn't. That is indoctrination again I put that on myself that my rage is in good or that people can't handle my rage and so let me manage and control it which is my own work and unlearning that I have to do that's why I love these conversations um, because I'm not interested by the by I'm not interested in being perfect or having it all figured out or being the authority on anything I'm interested in uh Having conversations, having thoughtful dialogue um, that allows me to expand and show up better for myself and for my people and for my family and for my friends. And I hope you are also interested in the same thing. It's not about being right or correct or doing it right or doing it perfectly. Um, we're all going to fuck up. And along the way, in some part of these journeys, as we... Um, do better and work and fight to do and be better. We're all going to fuck up, you know? Um, but it's what you do with that fuck up. It's not sitting in that fuck up. Uh, it's when somebody corrects you or when somebody offers new information that you're able to take that and, and use it on your quest to do and be better. So something I could do better is letting my rage hang out <laughs> when it needs to, you know, not being so quick to compartmentalize, so quick to fix because I, I'm afraid of people seeing it or, or I'm afraid they can't handle it, which I think is also to Griffin's point. You know, the only way we fix the system, right, is we, we got to be willing to have these, these hard conversations and beyond conversations, take action, huh? Because we could talk for days, honey. <laughs> We could talk. I mean, people, that's what people have been doing. People have been talking about racism. People have been talking about racism. We've been talking. It's time for action. Amen. Uh, and finally, you know, the work we as black people have to do inside the community, which is such a... Um, it feels like, and maybe I'm crazy, and it's hard to know sometimes because we're all in our homes doing everything digitally. So it's hard to know because we're not in the world with each other as you know we were in the before times, if you will, to know this. But sometimes it feels like that's a touchy subject, you know, at, at inside of the community to talk about. Okay, well, where have we failed ourselves and each other inside of this? You know, that. Yes, white people, y'all got a shit ton of things to um, be held accountable for and a shit ton of things to fix. But while y'all doing that and, and we put pressure on y'all to do that, we as black people, what are the things that we need to fix? And what are the ways in which we need to show up differently um, inside of, of all of this? Um, and joy you know, being part of that too, you know, like holding joy sacred and fighting for that but also having um, the conversations, the tough conversations about the ways in which um, we may have turned a blind eye to some of this bullshit, the way in which we may have um, ignored things. Uh, and this, uh, these are obviously gross generalizations. This isn't everybody, but it has happened. You know, I can say as a black queer person, right, that I have experienced rejection from other black folk. Uh, as a black uh, queer person in a male presenting body, I have rejected other folks um, or not used my privilege to its full extent to support and to uplift. So these are hard conversations. Um, but they're necessary conversations if we're really going to get to to the healing and the action um, and to creating 
um, to creating systems and a world that doesn't oppress and tear people down and lock us away and kill us. I didn't mean to end it right there, but that's where I'm going to end it. Um, what did you learn, honey? I want to hear from you. You know that you can always reach out to me, uh, blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. And folks, is spelled F-O-L-X. I really, really want to hear what y'all learned as well. So don't be afraid to hit that up. That is the show, honey. That's it. I want to thank Griffin for joining me. Griffin, I love you. Uh, you are you are officially one of my new brothers. I love you so much. Uh, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. I can't wait for us all to hang out. I want to meet the babies. And I still need, I still want my postcard. I want still want my postcard with the family. Okay? <laughs> to our listeners, y'all, please subscribe, rate, and comment on any platforms you listen to your podcast. Also, if you want to see the video version of this interview, it'll be available a week from today on my YouTube page at Brandon K. Good. I would also like to acknowledge I've been saying that and uh, there some of the videos are not up but they will be up forgive me the technology of it all is not not always does not always play in my favor okay <laughs> but we are getting them up there and so I hope that you will watch you can catch sneak peeks of upcoming conversations on my IGTV page at Brandon K Good on Tom Ellis's IGTV page at official Tom Ellis or on the black folks page Black folks is spelled how? B-L-A-C-K-F-O-L-X. And again, I want to hear from you. So if you got questions, you got guest suggestions, anything, email blackfolkspodcast at gmail.com. Folks is spelled F-O-L-X. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening. And just in case you haven't heard it yet today, I love you so much. Bye. Podcast Network.